welcome to the layman's channel uh, my name is Martin and uh, once again um, we're going to be uh, looking at the book of Philippians chapter 3 in our efforts to uh, find keys that will enable us to stand firm in these last days um, if you're brand new to the channel then you'll find that most of the content on here are Bible studies uh, but we also do have a couple of playlists of original songs, songs written by myself and some friends of mine. And also uh, there's a playlist of song covers, which both my wife and I uh, sing in English and in Tagalog. Uh, so if music is your thing, or music and Bible study is your thing, then we've got everything here for you. So before we get into uh, the Bible study today, um, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for all the things that you do in us and through us. We want to thank you, Lord God, that sometimes you do a work in us, Lord God, that we're not quite aware of, but we know that you're doing something. And maybe, Lord God, that's where we are at the moment, Lord. We know that you're doing something, but Lord, we can't quite discern it yet. But what we do know, Lord God, is that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that if we put our trust in you, then you, Lord God, will make all things at work for our good. And Lord, I want to thank you, Lord God, that we have been called according to your purposes in these last days to stand and to stand firm in Christ Jesus for you. So Lord, enable us to stand, I pray, as we look at the word. Lord, as your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, I pray, Lord God, that your word may guide us into the futures that you have for us, no matter how hard or easy they might be. And Lord, I pray, Lord, also that the entrance of your word brings light and understanding to each one of us. The Lord, that you would speak to us into our spirits and our hearts. The Lord God, that it just wouldn't soak into our brains, Lord God, but it would make the journey down into our spirit. That Lord God, that we may truly gain a revelation of who you are and what you're doing in these last days. Lord, I bring myself before you once again, and I thank you that you have promised to anoint my lips to enhance the kingdom of God and to use me as a conduit. So, Lord, do those things, I pray today, not for my glory, but for your glory and your glory alone. And in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen and amen. OK. Um, I hope that you were all encouraged last time as we studied the importance of rejoicing in the context of it being able to help us stand firm. We took a close look at the Hebrew scriptures and the Hebrew words used to describe the act of rejoicing. And my eyes were certainly opened as the scriptures made clear that it was good to jump up and down and spin around as we make ourselves merry before the Lord. We also learned that God commanded the Jews to rejoice before him during certain feast days, as well as whenever they went up to worship at the tabernacle or at the temple. For us as Christians, we don't have specific days or times set for us to rejoice. For Paul told the Thessalonians to rejoice always, always. So before we get into the study today, and I'll be using a lot of scripture today, which will obviously be in the description below. Um, let's read together Philippians chapter 3 and verses 1 to 11. Philippians 3. Verses 1 to 11. And I might do 4-1 as well. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. 
and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks these reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Uh, this week, um, I think we're going to have to put into practice what we learned last time as we're going to tackle the issue of religion, how it can affect us and how religion is always a killjoy. Philippians 3 verses 2 to 3 says this, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. What is Paul warning us about here? Uh, I must admit that I'm a dog lover. I think they truly are man's best friend. Dogs always greet you with an excited bark and a waggy tail as you come home from a hard day at work. Okay, they might want to go out for a walk, but they're happy to see you. Dogs love you unconditionally and can be the bravest of animals as they protect you and your property. But in some cultures, especially those in the Middle East, a dog is viewed as an unclean animal. It's easy to see why when you read in scripture the descriptions of what dogs do. Dogs will eat anything. In 1 Kings chapter 21 we read how God cursed the household of King Ahab and Jezebel and told them that dogs would eat their flesh and lap up their blood. Dogs can be vicious. In that great psalm of David that describes what the Messiah would suffer, we read that dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce their hands and my feet. And we know that dogs are unclean. They stick their noses in anything, even returning to their own vomit. Having said all that, those dog-like characteristics perfectly describe the people Paul's attention is upon in this verse. 
These kinds of people are very glad and excited to see you. They'll put their arms around you in a show of unconditional love. But behind every smile is a ravenous wolf, just waiting to pounce you and devour you and take you away from Jesus the Messiah. They can be extremely deceptive in the ways they attract new disciples, even using sexual attraction to win people over. In my very early days as a Christian, um, another young Christian friend of mine had a knock on his door. And there were two guys from the Church of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. And him being bold and brash in Jesus, invited them back in later on in the day for a chat. Because he was convinced he was going to try and win them for Christ. During that day, I think he got a little bit of a cold feet because he invited both me and a friend of mine in to him to help him. Um, in his efforts at persuading these Mormons to come to Christ. <clears throat> the only trouble is, when they turned up, they didn't send the two nice young men that came knocking on his door first. Who did they send? Two very young, attractive, single females who tried, obviously, to win him, to allure him by their looks, and their sexuality into the Mormon church. Thankfully, it didn't work. Unfortunately, his testimony to them didn't work either, at least uh, uh, not at that time. Whether it has done since, I don't know. But beware, beware when you get entangled with these people, when they knock on your door and try and sell you something that isn't of Christ, because they will try anything, anything at all, to get you in to their foul religious ways. The Bible says of them in Isaiah chapter 56 that they are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way and seek their own gain. Jesus also warns them about, but uh, warns us about them in Matthew chapter seven and verses fifteen to twenty, when he says, "Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit." A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will know them. Look at their fruit. Jesus says again in Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Let's spend the rest of our time today getting into some specifics about who these people were that Paul was writing about to the Philippians.
There were a group of Jewish believers following the apostles around who insisted that Gentile believers had to be circumcised before they could be considered to be real disciples of Christ Jesus. In other words, they were trying to entrap Gentile believers into following the religious laws of the Jews. Paul's antipathy and hostility towards these people and their teaching can be read throughout his letters to the different churches scattered across Europe and in Asia Minor. Let's have a look at some of those scriptures that he wrote now because it's important for us to get a grasp about why he was so upset about these people. He wrote to the Romans this, circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you've become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who aren't circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though if they were circumcised? The one who isn't circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. You can read that in Romans chapter two, verses 25 to 29. To Titus, he wrote this in Titus one and verse 10. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. To the Corinthian church, he said this. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised, for circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. You can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 19. To the Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, he writes, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that, it, it, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Nothing to do with circumcision in the flesh, but it's all to do with what Jesus did by the shedding of his blood. To the Colossians he wrote in Colossians 2 and verses 9 to 15, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, 
and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not fought, performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It is by the cross and through the cross that Jesus saves us and nothing else. We do not need to be physically circumcised. Are you getting the message yet? If you're still unsure, then I suggest that you read the whole book of Galatians in which Paul perfectly describes the deception that was infecting and infesting the Galatian church at that time. For the same people going after the Philippians were going after the Galatians. We read this in Galatians 1 verses 6 and 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Guess who that was? It was those who insisted they have circumcision as well. After Paul had visited with the apostles in Jerusalem, he said this. I went, to, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. That was in Galatians 2, verses 2 to 4. Then in Galatians 3, 1 to 6, Paul gets really spicy and says to them, you foolish Galatians, you idiots, you numbskulls, you donuts, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain? 
So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. At the end of the day, this is all about faith in Christ and in what he can do in and through you and not in anything physical that you can do to win, to win Christ and to be a Christian. It's got nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with the works of law and everything to do with the works of faith and grace which is given to us all in Christ Jesus and through him and his sacrifice on the cross. Finally, Paul reminds the Galatians of the freedom bought for them by Jesus' death and resurrection. In Galatians 5 and verse 1 he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't be tied down by religion. Don't be tied down and you must do this, you must do that. You must follow this, you must follow that. And at the end of the day, that is what I hope this series of study in Philippians 3 on the keys to standing firm will help you to do. It'll help you discern who the religious dogs are and who will try and take you away from the freedom that is only found in Christ Jesus and who will force you to live in bondage to laws and regulations that aren't necessary for your salvation. So stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Stand firm in the freedom Christ has purchased for you. In Jesus' name, see you next time.